Acheron, The Demon King, by Morgan Huxley. Find more great stories at audioiron.com. Chapter 13 Mary woke up in her bed fully dressed. Sunlight streamed through the window. She felt rested and a bit remote. She rolled out of bed and stepped into the bathroom. As she undressed, she uncovered the metal bracelet on her arm and took a moment to study it. Gold on the outside, some dark metal on the inside, it was three inches wide and approximately half an inch thick. She tried and failed to slip even a single finger between her wrist and the bracelet. She tried and failed to slip it off over her hand. She studied it to see if there was some kind of hidden clasp. There wasn't. She studied the engraving around the bracelet and pressed the tiny images to see if it would open as her box did. Nothing worked. Finally, irritated, she took a shower wearing the bracelet. It chafed against her skin as though the metal were biting her. She came downstairs wearing a bathrobe, found Stuart sitting at her kitchen table drinking coffee. He was dressed in fresh clothes but she could see that he hadn't bathed yet. Not surprising since the only bath in the house was in her room. Good morning, he said. I'm glad you are awake. She held up her arm, displaying the bracelet. Take this off, she said. I can't, he replied. It will come off in thirteen days. He stood up, collected a cup and poured coffee into it. He placed it on the kitchen table and scooted the milk jug and sugar toward her. She sat down, glared at him. It hurts me, she said. I don't see why you can't take it off. Because it's impossible, he said. How does your head feel? She stared at him. Did he really believe she would be put off so easily? She meant to have this thing off her even if she had to cut it off herself. You fell. Do you remember that? She thought about that for a moment. What did she remember? Throwing him into a wall for putting this infernal object on her arm. Moonlight, streaming down from heaven. Fury. The images she saw seemed surreal and out of order. Much seemed to be missing. I don't know, she finally replied. You aren't feeling well, he said. I thought I should watch you for a few days. No, she said. By no means was he going to hang around for several days. She was going to cut this thing off her arm the second he left, and thus he would be leaving immediately. Get out, she said. We should at least have Ahmed take a look at you. Out. She found herself standing, pointing at the door. Still he remained seated, studying her like a bug under glass. Then she said something else, something in a language she didn't know. Then he was standing, eyes riveted on her, wary. She pointed at the door. He inclined his head slightly as if in a kind of bow, then moved toward the door. As soon as he was outside the door, he moved toward her. If you feel ill, call me, he said. Don't come back until you can remove this profanity, she said. Then he was gone and she was alone. She heard his car leave the gravel drive then stepped out into the sun-filled morning. Glancing at the sky she knew it was after eleven. She had slept soundly, no dreams had plagued her. She padded across the grass, not bothering to close the robe she wore. Once in the barn she reviewed her collection of tools. At the moment, she worked in clay, but like most artists she had explored several media. Metal sculpture required the use of so many things, including torches, metal cutters, pliers and saws. She had abandoned it as far too mechanical to be worth pursuing. Nevertheless, she had most of her metal working tools affixed to the walls of the barn. Two hours later she was furious beyond words. The thing on her arm could not be cut off nor sawed through. 
It could not even be scratched. Solid gold was a soft metal yet it might as well have been steel for all the impact her tools made on it. Her arm, on the other hand, was another matter. It was bruised, pierced, and scratched from the several dozen slips she had made as she worked, left-handed, on the bracelet. Irritated, she threw the tools down and walked back into the house. Perhaps she could take her car into town and find someone with a torch to cut it off. Of course, that might well scorch her arm but that was a price she was willing to pay. The phone was ringing as she entered the house. Snatching it off the cradle she barked hello. Mary? Is that you? It took Mary a moment to identify the person on the other end of the phone. Margaret, the one in London. A woman. Well that was all for the best because a man Mary might have killed. It's me, she managed in a relatively civil tone. I was wondering if you wanted to come for a visit, said Margaret. I thought you might. I'll be there. I'll see you at the museum, Mary said, then dropped the phone back into place. So slow, she thought. These people were so slow. Mary called a cab, went upstairs to dress, grabbed the bag she'd packed last night and was downstairs before the cab arrived. We just got a call that she's missing, said James. The security team somehow managed to let her get by. She's with the old woman, said Stuart. She called you? James asked. Stuart sighed and stared at the phone. Now that the stars were finally aligning, and all the ritual elements were falling into place, he could feel his patience with people ebbing. I just know she's there, he said. Track them down and keep an eye on them. I don't care about the crone but I don't want our girl to get hurt. Voice recording and story copyright 2020 by Nancy Fulton. All rights reserved. Music created by D. Kurtzman and licensed from Pond5. Find more great stories at audioiron.com.